Hello, everybody. My name's Tim Perko, and you're listening to I Believe. Now what? Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of I Believe Now What? I'm your host, Tim Perko, and if you're new to the show, what we do is a Bible study, and we take what the Bible is telling us and try to apply that to our everyday lives. Last time we went over Romans chapter 1, now we're going to dive into Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 can honestly be one of the most mistranslated chapters in all of Romans. And the reason I say that is because so many people, they we don't like to get judged. Let's just face it. We as people, we get a little defensive sometimes when people judge us. That's just in our human sinful nature. We get defensive when people judge us and call us out on our wrongdoings, especially if it's true. If it's not true, I mean, just let that roll off your shoulders. Who cares? You know it's not true. But if it is true, sometimes we get a little defensive about it. And What I wanted to talk about here in Romans chapter 2 and really address is, should we judge other people? Do we have that right to judge other people? Well, let's see what Paul says. So we're going to go ahead and pick up on verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge, another you condemn yourself, for you... Who judge and practice the same things. So what he's saying here, what he's really directing this at are hypocrites. People who judge others on things that they're doing wrong in their life. That would be the equivalent of me, let's say I'm cheating on my wife behind my back, which I'm not, but let's just say I was. And then nobody knows about it. It's a secret. Only God knows about it, really. And I come across another person in church who admits this, and I start judging him. Well, you shouldn't do that. You know it's wrong. You know it's wrong to cheat on your wife. You're committing adultery, blah, blah, blah. But I'm doing the same thing just behind closed doors. That's who Paul's addressing here is the hypocrites. We move on to verse 2. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? He's saying, you got to be crazy if you think God doesn't know about this. You're over here condemning somebody for the same thing you're doing. Do you think God's really going to let you get away with that? Not today. Not today. So we move on to chapter verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? He's saying if you are really a Christian, you know, you're going to feel guilty about what you're doing. You are going to ask for forgiveness, and then God will forgive you. And Paul is really saying here the, the riches of his goodness. That's that feeling. You know, when you've said something to somebody and you know it's wrong or you got into an argument, you did something wrong, you know it's wrong, you've been holding that grudge, and then you just come out with it and admit it. You admit that you were wrong, you apologize, you say you're sorry, you ask for forgiveness, and then that that weight just gets lifted off your shoulders. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's what God does when we repent our sins to God. We get that weight lifted off of our shoulders. And with God, we know he will forgive us. Move on to verse 5. But in accordance with your hardness and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up yourself 
wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his own deeds. That's a heavy statement right there. So he's saying, he's talking to these hypocrites, these people who are making, blaming other people for things that they could be doing on the side and saying, hey, look, God is going to judge you. You're building up wrath for yourself. You're not, you're not building up riches and goodness. You're building up wrath for yourself. And you can apply that to today, to the same little things that we do when we're out there gossiping, judging, doing things like that. We're building up wrath for ourselves uh, in, the, in the coming days. We move on to verse 7. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. That last verse right there, verse 11, that's a big one. There is no partiality with God. Now, what Paul's talking about in here is you can see he's kind of splitting it off into two different groups. You have the unsaved and you have the saved. He, he's not directly talking to Christians. He could be talking to Christians in this, but he's not directly talking to Christians. You know, typically, because if you are a Christian, you should be doing the things that Paul mentioned that was good, such as the glory and honor, peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also the Greek. And then he's talking to the unsaved in there as well. You know, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek. So he's splitting it off into two different groups. You got the ones who do evil and the ones who do good. The Christians are the ones who do good and the bad are the ones who do evil. But like I said, I really want to put a big emphasis on that verse 11, for there is no partiality with God. In today's world, with so much, so much people, so many people just kind of going on about identity, uh, disjustice, injustice that's going on around them, how they feel that they have been wronged because of somebody else's social status. Well, guess what? God doesn't care about any of that status. You can be rich, poor, man, woman, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't matter. God will judge you. He has no partiality for where you have come from and what you have done. Only if you've accepted Christ as your Savior is that the difference maker. He looks at all sin the same. Then we move on to verse 12. For as many have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Not for the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are the law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now, I know that was a mouthful and Paul's kind of using the same words over and over again in a different way. When I first read that, 
long time ago, I had to reread that a bunch of times. Be like, what is what is he talking about here? And pretty much what he's saying, he's getting at is he's talking primarily to the Jewish people that are either thinking about converting or already have converted over to be Christians. And he's 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 talking to them. Maybe they haven't converted over yet, but he's talking to them and he's telling them like, hey, so check this out. Like you who live according to the law, like say you you you've you're living you're you were a Jew at that time, they're living according to the law, they're gonna be judged by the law. And then there's the people who didn't have the law, which were the Gentiles, that's everybody who wasn't Jewish, they're going to be judged what's written on their heart according to their own conscience. So they're going to be judged based off the knowledge they know. And what you see here is God has a different standard of judging. He's going to judge everybody regardless, but he has a different standard on how he judges different people. And don't think that mixes up with what I was talking about in verse 11, where there is no partiality with God. We are all sinners in the end. And if you haven't repented, confessed with your mouth, and believed in your heart, then you're going to be judged to hell just like everybody else. But there are different levels of judging and severity. And God outlines that in this verse, uh, speaking through Paul. What he's talking about is God's going to judge you based on your knowledge. You know, if you were a Jew in this time, or if you are a Jew, you have the law, and you live by the law. You have all this knowledge of God, but yet if you're going to continue doing wrong things, God's going to look at you a little bit harder. He's going to judge you harder than he would judge people who didn't have the law. Now, that doesn't mean people who didn't have the law, aka the Gentiles, they're not off scot-free. They're still going to get judged, but they're going to get judged according to what they know. Because just like we read about in verse 1, or as you were in chapter 1, you know, no man is without excuse. Everything around them is a testimony to God. And just as Paul said here, they will be judged according to what is written on their heart. And obviously, only God knows what's on their heart, whether or not they did things with good intentions or bad intentions. And how you can apply this to our everyday lives is in the way in which we also have knowledge. Now, just like I mentioned before in chapter one, and said, no man is without excuse. In today's world, the Bible is everywhere. Knowing God is pretty much everywhere. I looked up a stat a little while ago and I believe it said about 90% of the languages of the world, the Bible is printed in. That's a lot of languages, especially when you start looking at some of these remote tribes and things like that. So pretty much everybody is without excuse. Everybody has some type of knowledge of God. And whether they accept or reject, they can be judged on that, obviously. And then there's the people who maybe don't have the Bible. They don't have the complete gospel. But that's why we do missionary work. And we go out there and we try to do these missions to these groups and teach them about God. But they're going to be judged according to what they know. You know, God knows if they had access to the full word or not. And obviously, he knows their heart. And I'm going to do another podcast on what I'm about to talk about right now. But honestly, that's all that really matters is if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. I always go back to that verse uh, in Romans because it's one of my favorite verses of all times. And it's so true. If you look back to the thief that was on the cross with Jesus, he, all he said 
was, Lord, remember me when you come into your throne. That's all he said to Jesus. And what did Jesus say back to him? He said, today, you know, surely today you will be with me in paradise. That man was saved. That was the first case of salvation through Christ. He didn't do anything crazy. He didn't have anything extra happen to him. He didn't get baptized immediately afterwards. He didn't say some extra prayers or do a sacrament or receive the Eucharist or anything like that. He believed in his heart and he said it with his mouth. And that was enough to save him. Just just think about that. We're going to pick back up on verse 17. And he's going to he's specifically saying that the Jews are just as guilty as the Gentiles. So keep that in mind as we're reading this. So verse 17, we're picking it back up. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those in the darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. He's saying like, you guys go on and brag about yourself saying, oh, I'm so smart. I know this and I know that. And I'm going to lead these people who are lost and I'm going to show them the way. But what good is that if you are rotten on the inside, just as Jesus said about the Pharisees before? You look amazing on the outside, but you're rotten on the inside. And we can use this analogy for people in our everyday lives today. You know, sadly, there is a lot of toxicity in multiple different churches. As you guys know, I'm in the military, so I've been around and I've seen a lot of different churches. And I've also seen a lot of toxicity in some different churches. There's a lot of self-righteous people who talk a big talk, but then at the end of the day, the inside, they're just as guilty as the people that they're condemning or gossiping about. Now, don't get me wrong, not every church is like this. I'm not saying that, but there are people out there like that. And if you're one of those people, well, gosh darn it, you probably, no, not probably, you should repent and try to see the error of your ways. We are veiled in this human flesh. I get it. But it's no excuse for unrepentant sin. We need to repent And we need to be sorry for what we've done. And we need to try our best to forsake that sin. If you don't know what forsaking your sin means, that means pushing your sin away and trying your best to never do it again. Because ultimately, just like we learn when we're little kids, what does sorry mean? Sorry means I'm going to try to never do it again. All right, before I get off on a crazy long tangent, we'll go pick it back up on, where did we leave off here? On verse 21. All right. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? There we go again with Paul. He's saying, you're teaching them all this stuff, but yet you're, are, are you, are you teaching yourself along the way? You should, because you're guilty of the exact same things that you're trying to teach them on. You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, Do you commit adultery? You who harbor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, you dishonor God through breaking the law. For the name of God is blasphemed among Gentiles because of you, as it is written. 
And one way that you can apply this in today's world is let's let's be real. Christian hypocrisy is a real thing. Whether those people are truly led to Christ or not, I don't know the heart, so I can't say. But Christian hypocrisy is a real thing. There's people out there in the world who claim to be Christians, but yet they're doing some of the stupid, most ridiculous stuff in the world. And this pushes people away from Christianity. This is exactly what Paul is talking about here. Let's read that again. You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who harbor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. And I put my Bible down here for a second, getting on my soapbox. I cannot go on enough about how this is such a finger pointing at Christian hypocrisy. Obviously, we have the luxury of seeing Jesus Christ. And if you're not saved, hopefully you are getting on that path. You know, if you're listening to this, hopefully that means you're getting on that path to seeing Jesus Christ for who he really is. And we're forgiven. But when we are out here doing and practicing the same things that we're condemning, how does that make us look? Just look around. You can see it in the news all the time. You have churches that end up having their head pastor commit adultery and run off with another woman. You have churches that are protesting soldiers' funerals because they say God hates faggots, which is just absolutely ridiculous. You have churches who are out there committing sins that they are practicing against. And then there's all these other groups that have nothing to do with God. They say they do, but they don't, but they make Christianity look bad. Groups like the KKK and all these other uh, extremist groups out there that, that take God and use God's name saying, we're fighting on the side of God. And they are definitely not because they are filled with hate, they are filled with anger, and they are filled with something that isn't God and probably the devil. It's probably the devil. It's very, very sad. So you can you almost blame people in our human reasoning to be uh, shy away from Christianity or avoid Christianity when they see all these hypocrites out there? It seems like at least a couple times a year you see about a giant mega church having some crazy scandal inside their church. It, it, it's all over the place. So can you really blame people sometimes when they do that? And especially on the topic of when it comes to Christians arguing amongst themselves. We have so many crazy disagreements amongst ourselves. It makes us look like we don't have it all together. I follow this page. It's called Calvinism versus Arminianism. And oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not going to go into uh, what is Calvinism and what is Arminianism. If you don't know, it's pretty much just two different denominations. They both have the same beliefs on salvation, on how you get saved. What they disagree on is what is the determining factor on how you get saved. They believe that salvation all, comes through Jesus Christ dying on the cross, and then you repent with your mouth and believe in your heart, and that means you're saved. They both believe that. One believes that God predestines you to that, uh, and another believes that it is on all your free will. All right, that's the most I'll go into it for today, because that's a whole nother discussion. But I'm on this Facebook page just because I like to read the comments that people put out there, and I see some of the most disgusting, hateful things on that page. Nobody there 
not nobody, I won't say nobody, but a lot of people on there are just out there to make fun of each other, to put each other down. They're not lifting each other up or trying to prove, you know, through scripture on what they actually believe. They just want to go at it with each other and make each other look dumb. And then they just post memes all day on it. Yes, because a meme really changed my mind. But you know what it does do? It pushes people away who are thinking about getting into Christianity and they see all this and they're going to, I'm out. Especially those who like to try to argue their way with huge, giant theological words. Yes, yes, you are so smart and you are so amazing. Yes, yes, good for you, good for you. Guess what? If I'm a new Christian, I don't know what the heck you just said. Stop using these big, giant words and being proud and boastful in yourself and start using some everyday words for people like this. So I'm going to get off my soapbox now. But like I said, it's just one of those things that we as a Christian community need to police up. We are pushing people away from our faith by the way we argue with each other. And then it's bad enough that you already have these outside groups who claim to know Christ. And then they're doing all these crazy things off on the side. Let's clean up our act, guys. Ultimately, if you just keep yourself dug in the word of God and you listen to what the spirit is telling you, tugging you, when you read the Bible, you know, that's, that's all you need. Don't rely on the words of a man. Rely on what is in the word itself. All right, so we'll move on to verse 25 now. After my little soapbox <laughs> after my little soapbox escapade. And verse 25 is kind of harping on the exact same thing that we were talking about. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? All right, let me stop there. So if you are new to scripture and you're new to Christianity as a whole, you're going to see this circumcision, uncircumcision stuff all over the Bible. What they're referring to is the circumcised are typically, and it's another way to say the Jews. Uncircumcised is another way to say the Gentiles, because in those days, one of the commandments from God was for the Jewish people to circumcise all their boys. It was one way that they separated from themselves, uh, from the other people, and was also hygienically better back in those days. Um, Multiple other reasons, but that was pretty much it. It was just another way to separate them from the heathens and the pagans and the rest of the world, the Gentiles. And the uncircumcision, like I said, typically refers to the Gentiles. And what Paul is saying here, you can just replace the word circumcision with Jewish and uncircumcision or uncircumcised with not Jewish, if you want. Okay, so picking it back up on verse 27. And will not physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision that is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And what he's explaining here, and you can really see he's directing this 
pretty largely at the Jewish population of the church in Rome, saying like, hey, you're so proud of the fact that you are a Jew and you have the written word of God, but if you're not really following that, then I would say you're just as a Gentile is. And then a Gentile who follows God, trusts in Jesus, listens to Jesus, he's more of a Jew than you are. And he's not even born into it. That's what Paul's pretty much saying here. He's saying Jew, no Jew, it doesn't matter. If you follow Christ and you listen to his words and you obey what Christ wants us to do in our lives, then you're a part of the kingdom. The main thing I get out of those last few verses in 25 through 29 is that God knows the heart. Just because you feel that you are righteous, you know, it doesn't make it, doesn't make it that way. The outward image is mute. It's a mute point unless the heart also reflects what's inside. So ultimately, when we're going through this, we're looking at this and we're seeing, do I judge? Do I not judge? Where do we get all this judginess stuff from through all this stuff that we were reading? The reason really why I wanted to go over this and say it was misused because a lot of people take this and say, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. They'll use this verse. And while yes, God will judge you, it's not saying for us to not judge each other. We as Christians are commanded to call each other out when we do the wrong thing. And we're actually going to get into that a little bit more as we read into Romans. You'll, you'll, you'll see as we go along where it talks about that and then how we can approach that and do that. But as Christians, we are to call each other out. But the thing is, is we don't do it in a hateful way. We don't do it in a demeaning way. We don't go on our Facebook feeds and go, you're such a stupid idiot and you don't know what you're talking about. No, 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 no. You don't do that. You pull them aside. You talk to them in private. You let them know. You don't blast them out loud. Because you know what that looks like when you do that? looks like boasting. looks like boasting. And you might really be trying to hide something inside of you. Who knows? Now, what do we do about the unbelievers? Do we judge them? No, we don't judge them. And once again, we'll get into that later on. But they're doing whatever they want to do according to their own heart. They don't have Christ. It's not our place to judge them. Christ will judge them rightly and justly. And he will show no partiality, just like it is written. So don't worry about all those people who aren't in the kingdom. Don't worry about all those people who aren't Christians. God will judge them. But when it comes to policing up our own, we need to call each other out. Just like I went on my little soapbox rant about Christians doing the wrong things, we need to call each other out. That's the only way we're going to fix this. But like I said, we don't do it with hatred. We don't do it in an embarrassing fashion. We shouldn't even do it publicly. We should do it in private. We should pull them to the side. Let them know, hey, I see you've been doing this, and I, you know, we know it's not right. You should stop. And that's it. The other outline thing is don't judge other people when you are facing the exact same issues. And that's the overall message that I get out of Romans chapter 2. All right, we'll go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we dig through your word, please 
Once again, let us reflect on this and see the word for the way you want us to see it, not the way that we want to see it or somebody tells us how we should see it. We want to see it the way you want us to see it, Lord. Thank you so much for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray. In your will alone. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks again for participating in this one. And we're going to move on to Romans chapter 3 next. And yeah, it starts picking up a little bit more. I know we came in fast and strong in Romans 1, Romans 2. It's kind of a shorter because it's a very, it's a very, uh, it's talking about the same thing throughout the entire chapter for the most part. Romans 1 covered a lot of stuff. Romans 2, while it's, you know, a lot of verses, it's kind of talking about the same thing the entire time. Romans 3, then we're going to really get into, like, God's judgment defined. Yeah, that's, that's the best way I can put it. All right. Well, y'all have a good one. This is Tim Perko with I Believe. Now what? Signing off. <laughs>